Texas do send were reason we're continuing our studies in First Corinthians and we've arrived at chapter number thirteen. A beautiful chapter, a daunting chapter, uh, a mountain of truth in the Bible, so we won't be able to scale every detail of the height today. But just, just before we do read, just a couple of things to say before we do, folks. I know most folks won't know Tony Pepler, but we've been praying for Tony. Um, I've literally just had a message two minutes ago to say that the doctors say he's very close to the end. Now, we know that's very close to heaven, don't we, at home? But the vast grace has been called to go and see her, see it, to be with him, and the doctors assume that it's going to be today he's taken home. So maybe we should just pray for grace as she's with her dad at this time. Lord, we just want to commit our brother Tony to you, Lord. Your dear child, maybe even now, on the very verge of crossing into home in heaven. And we've no doubt he will hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Please, Lord, give our brother Tony, when it pleases thee, give him a safe, peaceful transition from earth to heaven. We remember it was said even of Lazarus in Luke 16, he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. When the time comes, Lord, carry our dear brother home safely to the heavenly shore. But we pray for Grace's daughter, such great pain and loss for her, and a hard thing to sit with her father during these days and times, and we pray for her that she might experience thy presence and thy strength at this time. We give thanks in the Lord's name. Amen. And just before we read, folks, just to say a little about Janet's um, surgery tomorrow. Uh, Janet will go for surgery tomorrow at 11 o'clock. Thank you for all your support uh, and your prayers and your encouragement. Um, Sisters in particular have a special gift in that ministry, in that area, and not that the brothers are not appreciated, please don't misunderstand me, but you sisters have been such a blessing and a help to us both, and we're grateful for that. In the context of that, and in the context of what we're doing in First Corinthians, I've been thinking a lot about healing folks, to be quite honest with you, and I just want to say something about healing right now. I believe that God is able to do anything and that God can heal, and God still does heal. I know a man called Owen Smith that the doctors had given him up, and God did a miraculous thing and healed him. And I believe that God still does that, and God can still do that. Sometimes he uses the doctors and the medicines to do that, but sometimes he doesn't, folks. God's healing cannot be manipulated and it cannot be demanded. And while God can do and sometimes does, sometimes God doesn't do. And I can think of Paul who prayed for healing and didn't get it. Timothy who had to take medicine for the rest of his life. And if you know anything about Joni Erickson Tada, who broke her, her neck when she was a 17-year-old and has lived as a quadriplegic for all her life, you know, God didn't heal her, but... The point is that whether God does or doesn't, we want to do everything for the glory of God. And I know that that is Janet's particular burden, that whatever the Lord has in this situation, 
it might be for the glory of the Lord and that we might behave ourselves in a way that will glorify the Lord. If he chooses to heal, we praise him. If something else happens, we praise him. And he's good and he does what's good. And we absolutely believe that. So thank you so much for your prayers. So let's read the scriptures. And we're going to start at the end of verse uh, chapter number 12 because chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians is a, a very wonderful chapter, but it's not a chapter in isolation. Not a chapter in isolation. It sometimes can seem that way, but it's not. So my, my passage is from verse 31 um, of chapter 12, reading down to verse 13 of chapter number uh, 13. And if ever there's a chapter that speaks for itself, it's this chapter. Isn't that right? And so I'm actually going to read it twice. I'm going to read it first of all in my preferred version, the authorised version, because I think the language is beautiful and dignified. And then I'm going to read it in the amplified version of the Bible, which will bring out a lot more of the subtle meanings of the, the words that are there. And as preachers, we're always taught to say the word of God is the most important part. And we read it for five minutes and then we tell you what we think for 35 minutes. So I'm going to read the, the chapter twice in both versions so that we get the force of the word of God. And if nothing else happens this morning, let us let the word of God speak for itself. And the power of God's word be the real power in our life. So we'll begin actually at verse 29 of, of verse um, of chapter 12. At this end of the, the, the chapter that's all about spiritual gifts, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, and that's what we call rhetorical questions. It means that the answer doesn't need to be given. The answer is so obvious, it doesn't need to be stated. So when you get to the end of the verse 29, have all the gifts of feeling, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, what is the answer? The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. Not everybody has this particular gift or these particular gifts. Uh, and he says, listen, actually, but covet earnestly the better gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13. So we'll just say at the end of verse 12, what is he saying? These gifts of spectacular foundational gifts are minimal when it comes to Christian life. There's things that are much, much better than that. And Paul's saying, listen, you guys are all taken up with these spectacular things in chapter 12 and you've got yourself all mixed up. That's not important, that stuff. There's things that are much more important than all that stuff. We live in a day when people are fixated totally fixated with spectacular and totally fixated with miraculous. And Paul's saying, if you're fixated and you're taken up with the miraculous, you've got it all wrong. You know, the Lord Jesus was economical with his miracles. You know that, don't you? He didn't go around like Barnum and Bailey Circus, you know, doing miracles everywhere. So that, matter of fact, when they said to him, Lord, do some miracles for us. Show, 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 us, some, show us some special stuff. Do you know what he did? He walked away. Because the Lord was saying, you know, you've got yourself all mixed up if you're fixated with all that spectacular stuff. So that's the, the context. And he says this, but cover earnestly the better gifts, but I'm going to show unto you a more 
excellent way. So what he's saying is this, there's something much bigger in your Christian life than being involved in the exercise of your spiritual gift. Now it's important to be exercising your spiritual gift, right? But he's saying there's something bigger that's important. So he's let's say, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not charity. Is Paul saying he speaks with the tongues of men and angels? Is that what he's saying? He's not. He's saying, supposing I could speak with the tongue of men, and supposing I could speak every language known to men, and supposing I could speak an angelic language and have not charity. He's not saying he does that. He's just me. It's like me saying to you, supposing I could run like Usain Bolt. That's, you know, I can't run like Usain Bolt, but I'm saying to you, supposing I could, and yet I trip up or I wear boots, it's pointless, isn't it? So it's, he's not saying he does it. He's just saying, suppose I'm like this, but I don't have charity. So let's read it. And have not charity. That's what it says in the authorised version. The word in your Bible probably is, if it's modern, it's love. And it's not any old word for love. It's the agape word for love. So we'll substitute love for charity. The reason the authorised version uses charity is this, because it means, what is charity? Charity's action, isn't it? It's love and action. Charities that exist now exists to, they call it for the public benefit. They've got to do something to demonstrate, their, and this is what the agape love is, and that's what charity is, it's love in action. So this chapter is not about theoretical love, it's about practical love. What does love look like when it's active in a Christian's life? That, that's what it is. Supposing I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not charity or have not love, it profiteth me Nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, love never faileth. But where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I speak as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass, or we see in a mirror, darkly, obscurely. 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now follow in your Bible, if you will, this chapter again while I read it in the Amplified Version. And the Amplified Version will expand on some of these words and probably help you by their expansion better than I'll be able to help you in the next few minutes. Listen to this. Suppose I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love for others growing out of God's love for me. Then I have become only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just a noisy distraction. And if I have the gift of prophecy to speak a new message to God and his people and understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge and if I have all or sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love reaching out to others, I am nothing. If I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it does me no good at all. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful, and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked, nor overly sensitive or easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in everyone, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. Love never fails, fades or ends. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for the gift of special knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, for our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete. But when that which is complete and perfect comes, that which is incomplete and partial will pass away. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now is the time of imperfection. And we see in a mirror dimly a blood reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known by God. And now there remain faith, abiding trust in God and his promises. Hope, confident expectation of eternal salvation. Love, unselfish love for others growing out of God's love for me. These three, 
the choicest graces, but the greatest of these is love. And if we read this and do nothing else, we get a blessing from the Lord, I'm absolutely sure. So let's just try and say some general things about this chapter. Impossible to in the time go down through it verse by verse. But let's say some important things about this whole subject of Christian love. The principles of love are universal, folks. As Christians, we are asked to display love to all. Love for God. Love for our enemies. Love for the world. Love for our brothers and sisters. But this chapter here in 1 Corinthians 13 is very firmly set in the context of how we behave ourselves in the local church. That's what it's about. Whether the principles are going to be universal, they're particularly applicable to how we relate to each other in the local church. Now, up to now, Paul's just been dealing with problem after problem after problem, hasn't he? You know, problem with legal things, problem with moral things, problem with personality things, problem with this, problem with that, problem with the next. And he's basically saying, excuse me, let's stop for a minute. Because really, if we were living in the good of what Christian love is, all of these problems would disappear. And what we've got in chapter 13 is the answer to all the problems that come our way in a local church. And the answer to all our problems that come our way in a local church is we live out the life of love that the Lord Jesus says. And that's really what the chapter's saying. So with the spiritual gifts in chapter 12, here's what they are. Do you know what your problem is, guys? You're, You're all fixated with doing your own thing and becoming the big voice or the big man. And in chapter 14, we'll tell you how you should do it properly. But listen, let me tell you, You've got fixated in the wrong things. Instead of concentrating on love and the manifestation of love, you've got yourself all taken up with what you are and how you can best be used and what people think about you. That's why a lot of what love is, is turning attention away from yourself. And you'll see that as we go down through. So, Christian love, this agape love, is a love that is commanded. So all these things in chapter number 13 that we're reading about being kind and and, and being not puffed up and not easily provoked, not irritated, these are not things that are just optional extras for those that have the personality that does that sort of stuff. These things are commanded of us. Listen to this. A new commandment, John 13, I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. Therefore, love one another another. Love for Christians amongst Christians is not an optional extra. It's a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we don't love each other, do you know what we're doing? We're disobeying the Lord. We're disobeying. We're in direct disobedience, not to a suggestion, not to an illusion, not to something you have to read between the lines to find out. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. And Paul's saying here, look folks, If you were obeying that command, this is how you'd be behaving. Instead of getting all fixated with spectacular and I'm the preacher and I'm the one that's got a word here and I'm the word that's there. If you were really fixated on the things that mattered, this this would be what you would be like. That's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 13. Christian love is not a natural love. Okay? 
There are some people that are naturally loving, isn't that right? There are some people that are sentimental and are soft-hearted and are, are, have got that kind of natural disposition of, of thinking the best of other people. And that's good, folks. That's good. Wish I had that kind of disposition to have exactly the opposite. But this love that the Lord commands is not just the expression of a natural disposition. It's a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit in your life. So what we're getting in chapter 13 is not some natural way of you living. It's the Lord saying, listen, well, think about this. Remember when we studied Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. And there are a lot of people who know a lot more about the Bible than me that say actually the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then the next eight things are actually just expanding on what love is. It's not love and, 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 and. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and this is what love's gentle and patient and kind and long-suffering. And, and, and this is what he's saying. This is not a natural love. The Lord's not just saying, listen, be nice to each other naturally. Smile at each other and put on that kind of funny sentimentality. And there are people who are like that, who, who put on this kind of full sentimentality. And, 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 you know, that's not what he's saying. You see, this is a manifestation of the Spirit in your life to love. And, and it's not a natural thing. Brothers and sisters, look at this. Would we naturally be attracted to each other? What brings us together this morning? What helps you and I to look into each other's eyes and say, I love you, brother, I love you, sister? What does that? It's not my natural disposition. It's because the love of Christ is manifested in us and through us, isn't that right? And what we're doing is we're not showing each other our natural affection to each other. We're actually showing each other the love of Christ to each other. That's what we're doing. That takes our relationship from the natural relationships of the world and lifts it into a level that the world knows nothing about. You know, far be it for me to make political comment. The Conservative Party conference last week was a total shambles, wasn't it? Could you ever have said those people love each other? They have common interest, they have common beliefs, but you know what they don't have? They know nothing of the love of God in their heart, do they? But it's love that's to be manifested. That's the point. The point of this chapter is this. Don't just say you love. Show your love. And in the local church, the local assembly, this is the place above all other places in the world that the love of God should be known. Isn't that right? And when people come in amongst us who are not believers, or maybe Christians that don't gather with us normally, they should come amongst us and say two things. These people love the Lord, and they love each other. There's a woman who comes to our gospel meeting, and one of the things she said to me, I remember when she said when she first came, I kept asking her, why do you come, why do you come? And she says, well, it's not like slimming world. I was glad of that. But I said, what do you mean it's not like slimming world? She says, you know, you folks really care about each other. You know, when I go to Slimming World, they're all talking about each other and talking about this and talking about that. But when I come amongst you Christians, it's obvious you love each other. Folks, that, this is what this chapter's saying. This is the better way. This is the big thing. And so Paul says that. So the chapter of, this is a chapter of love. And I've been reading this week in Matthew 5. You've been reading in Matthew this week as well. And I was reading about the Lord on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about love to his enemies. Uh, listen to this passage. You've heard it's been said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. That was an old 
Testament principle, wasn't it? You know, love, love the people of Israel. And the people out there are your enemies. That's what he says. But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father in heaven. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more? Do not all the publicans do so? Then he says this, Be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. By that puts the bar high, doesn't it? The Lord's saying, the love that you should have as my disciples is so great, you should be striving to love like God loves. Now, can we do that naturally? Of course we can't. We do that by the Spirit. So let's say a couple of things. The position of this chapter is really important, folks. Paul's not just stuck it in. The position is really important. The context is people were exercising their spiritual gift with pride, self-promotion, and manipulation. That's what they were doing. They were taking the spiritual gift that God had given them and saying, this is mine. And I'm going to use it to make me look good and make me get a position amongst the Lord's people. And so Paul says, stop. If that's what you're doing with your spiritual gift, you've got it wrong. Do we all speak like that? Do we all do this? Do we all do that? No. There's something much bigger than taking your spiritual gift and making yourself known amongst the Lord's people because you're a gifted person. And he says, listen, stop. Whatever you're fixated on, whatever you're doing, there's something much bigger than that. And so he speaks about this first little section is about the absence of love. What happens if we do all the right things but we don't have love? Let's remind ourselves, this is agape love. Agape love is not a romantic love. It's not a sentimental love. And it's not even a physical love. There are words in the New Testament, three different words that are used for love, right, okay? There's the word eros. You know what that means, don't you? It, the word that we would have now would be eros. That's that kind of love that we associate with sexual activity, lust more than love. That's a love that takes, isn't it? That's love that takes. Then there's the, 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 the word filio. And the word filial is a love of common interest, right? You know, Philadelphia, the church that we've talked about, we've common interest. And it's love that gives and takes because we've got common interest. It's a, a bi-directional love. But this word is not eros. And it's not philios. It's agape love. And agape love is the love that just gives. And gives, and gives, and gives. Agape love is a love that's undeserved, without merit. You don't look at that person and think, mm, do they deserve me to love you? Does, does he love me the way I deserve to be loved? I'm thankful he doesn't because I don't deserve to be loved at all. But he loves me despite that. And we think about that character of God's love, don't we? That's why we were yet sinners. Christ, God commendeth his love towards us. And it's an, so we don't look at each other and say to the, does that brother deserve me to love him? Does that sister deserve No. God says, no. 
nothing to do with who deserves your love. It's got to be given without merit, without restriction. It's a love that's undeserved. It's a love that's unconditional. You know what that means? It doesn't have any limits to it. I love you until you upset me. <laughs> I love you until you speak against me. No. It's a love that's indiscriminate. Love your enemies, as the Lord said. And it's a love that goes beyond the laws and requirements. Remember the Lord said, you know, if somebody asks you to go a mile with them, what have you to do as a Christian? Go the extra mile, haven't you? Because they deserve it? No, because that's what love does. So if you need my help, if I love you, I don't just help you until the time's up and then go home. I love you without restriction, without limit. And basically the bottom line is love that is Christian is sacrificial love. So, three divisions in this chapter, very quickly. Number one, the absence of love. What happens if you do something and there's no love involved? The word I've got for you then is futility. Totally futile. Look at this. I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I am nothing. It profiteth me nothing. What happens if you're the greatest preacher in the world and you don't have any love? Totally futile. Utterly pointless and profitless, both for you and for me. So there's the, the absence of love. Then there's the fruit of love from verse 4 to 7. If love is present, what does it look like? Love is kind, love is patient, love is this, love is that, love doesn't do this, love doesn't do that. And the word I've got for you there is purity, right? Because love that's manifested is manifested in a pure way, a life of purity. A life of purity and character. And then right at the end, from verses 8 to 13, we've got the endurance of love. And the word I want for you there to get is longevity. Longevity. Gifts of the Spirit are appropriate, but not permanent. You get that? They're appropriate for the time and the place and the situation but they're not permanent. Faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love. All these things pass away, but love endureth to the end. Love never fails. So in the absence of love, our life is futile. If there's presence of love, our life is pure. And love will last forever. The things that are done for love will have longevity associated with them. So, let's just look at this first section. Look, the absence of love, futility. Supposing I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding bass or a tinkling cymbal. Supposing I'm the most eloquent preacher and I don't have love. Do you know what I'm like? A sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Do you know, do you know what the Amplified said? An annoying noise. An annoying noise. Now, I have quite a, a wide range of tastes when it comes to music. I like classical music. And if you, you know the 1812 Overture, you know, uh, you know Beethoven's 1812 Overture, and it's, it's an amazing thing. But the symbols are quite important in that, aren't they? The symbols are, and when the symbols are played at the right time, they add to the effect and are really to be appreciated. But if you went to the sage 
and you went to hear a concert, and all there was was somebody sitting on the stage, and they had a, a, a they had a symbol, a wee tinkling symbol, and all they did was just sit and tinkle that for an hour and a half. I'll tell you, you'd get pretty irritated after a while, wouldn't you? Because it's appropriate in its proper context. And when it's not in its proper context, it's just an annoyance, and it's just pointless, and you probably wouldn't last the length of time. Paul's saying, listen, supposing I'm so eloquent, I can speak with the tongue of men and angels. Supposing I'm a smooth-talking preacher, or a persuasive person, if love is not present, you know what he says? All I am is like an annoying symbol. It's worthless. Worthless. Brothers and sisters, I've heard many a clever man stand on a platform and preach his heart out from the word of God and all it's done has been pointless and annoying because it has lacked love. Love for Christ and love for the saints. And I don't know about you, but you must forgive me. I'm very judgmental. You know when that's happening, don't you? Don't you? You know that when somebody speaks to you the word of God, you know whether they're doing it out of love or whether they're doing it just out of legality, don't you? You can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. And he says, supposing that's love's not there, what's the point? If I sit down with any of you brothers and sisters and I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you and help you and I want to talk to you maybe maybe correct you as an elder. If I'm not doing that out of love, do you know what I'm going to do? All I'm going to do is annoy you. Not right? I'm just going to irritate you. Love doesn't irritate. We'll see that later on if we get time. But then he says this, supposing I've got the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains. So supposing I'm active. I'm not just a preacher. I'm active at stuff. I'm, 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 I'm working hard. I'm doing the right stuff. I'm doing the orthodox stuff. But I'm doing it out of dead duty or legality. What am I? I am nothing. I've been reading in Jeremiah as we heard this week, right? And the people of God in Jeremiah had departed from God and his word. They'd forsaken him. Listen to what Jeremiah says. The evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, they shall be even as this girdle, which is good for nothing. He was told to take a belt he was told to take it to a river, hide it in a rock, and then go away for a while. And then when he came back, he would find that that leather belt or that linen belt was totally spoiled. And he was saying, my people are like that because of the parties for me. He's saying, you know that belt? You know what it's for now? It's good for nothing now. Listen to what the Lord said. Ye are the salt of the earth. If the salt hath lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. Brothers and sisters, I dread my life being good for nothing. And you know what Paul's saying? If you don't have love, your life's good for nothing. Right? If you're not enjoying the love of God, manifesting the love of God, loving the saints, do you know what your life's worth? It's good for nothing. Imagine getting to heaven and having done all that you've done. All your activity, the Lord says, I'm sorry, you did it out of the wrong motive. You didn't do it for love. I'll tell you right now, if the Lord takes Tony Pepler home to heaven today, he's not a man that was good for nothing. Let me tell you, he never stood on this platform and preached. He never did. 
and he never was spectacularly known amongst the saints. But when you met him, you knew he loved you. And you knew he loved the Lord. And you knew he loved sinners. And he's a man that wasn't good for... Uh, wouldn't you long just to get to your life and be worth something for God? Or would you dread getting home and find that you've been good for nothing? Paul says, listen, whatever you're doing, make sure you're doing it out of love. Then he says this, look. The third thing is this. He says, supposing I give my body to be burned, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and I even give my body to be burned. That's martyrdom. You know, don't you, that in the Bible, there's special rewards for the martyrs. Go to Revelation 20, and those appear before the throne who have been, what? Beheaded for the sake of Jesus Christ. And they get a really special reward, don't they? Because they've been beheaded for this. Martyrs in the Bible get special rewards. And I think of many a Christian missionary that's been, whose life's been taken, you know? But you know, he says, supposing even you give yourself to be a martyr, see if you've done it without love. Do you know what he says? There'll be no reward. There'll be no reward. That's a solemn thing, folks. I'm looking in the mirror now and I'm thinking, am I doing what's right? And if I'm doing what's right, am I doing it out of love? And if I'm doing it out of love and I'm not doing it out of love, I'm going to have nothing at the end of my life. First Corinthians, it talked about being saved so as by fire, wood, hay and stubble, burned up. The evidence of love, okay, from verse 4 to 7. Go down through them. Suffereth long. Endures misfortunes and troubles. Is kind, patient, bearing the offences of others, mild and slow to be avengeance. Charity envieth not. That means it doesn't boil with anger when somebody is speaking about them. It means to be zealous. Charity doesn't, doesn't burn with anger against people. I've done that. You've done that, haven't you? when you've been burned with anger and you've never said anything but your heart's been burning angry at somebody love doesn't do that love doesn't do that love is not puffed up do you know that word comes from being blown with a pair of bellows you know and, and we like that don't we we like to get blown with a pu- we like to get puffed up don't we we like somebody to come to you after you've said something and say that was a great word thanks for sending that wee text we, we love when people come and, and say that don't we Charity doesn't do that. Love doesn't do that. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Doesn't act inappropriately. Doesn't presume on people's relationships. It does not seek its own. Doesn't always point to itself. Is not easily provoked. That means you're not irritated or irritable. If I'm irritable, do you know what it is? It's because I'm not loving. My irritability is a reflection of my lack of love. Rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never fails. That word never fails is really important. When it comes to prophecies and when it comes to tongues, the word there is completely different. Completely different. But when it comes to, to love, love never fails. I mean, it never comes to an end. never comes to an end in time. It never comes to an end in circumstances. It's constant and reliable. Love is all, you can always rely on the love of that person. Now, I'm going to embarrass him. I can always rely on the love of that man. 
because me and him have walked some hard paths together. And when I needed him, he was there. And his love's never ended for me. And I don't say that to embarrass him. He knows that. But that's what we should be like with us all, shouldn't we, brother? Brothers and sisters, we should be like that. We should know that your love will never fail for me and my love will never fail for you. Love never fails. And then right at the end, the permanence of love. Prophecies cease. Tongues vanish away. But love sticks right to the end. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but it says when that which is perfect has come. Mm, that's an interesting one. I'll talk to you about that. Some people think that's heaven. I don't think that's heaven at all. I don't think that's heaven. I think those prophecies, tongues and things were what they call foundational gifts. And when the full revelation of the word of God has come, those things vanish away. That, that's what the word means. It doesn't mean they suddenly come to an end. It means they, they become idle and useless. That's what it means. But the word of God does what? Endures forever. Endures forever. So, it's like looking in the mirror, folks, isn't it? I never look in the mirror and feel comfortable. I always look in the mirror and feel uncomfortable. I need my hair cut or I need my moustache trimmed or something like that. When we read 1 Corinthians 13, we see a high level, a high expectation. May God help us to be moving. We're not, we're not there. None of us are there, are we? Well, if you're there, the Lord bless you, because I'm certainly not there. And I've not been preaching this morning, folks, by achievement. I hope you know that. I've been preaching because of, of aspiration. That's what I long for, and I know that's what you long for. May the Lord help us to love, eh? To love not in what? Do you know what John says? Do not, wor- do not love in word only, but in deed and in truth. Love is more easily seen than heard. And Spurgeon said this, there's always a short path from the Bible to Christ. So you take 1 Corinthians 13 and you read it and you think, who is the perfect example of 1 Corinthians 13? can only be him. And that's our desire, to be like him. May the Lord bless his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that helps us and sometimes chastises us. We challenge our hearts about our motives about the need for love love for thee love for one another love for the world love for our enemies and we question in our own heart our motives many times but Lord we've never questioned thy motive never we've never we've never questioned that thou didst love us we've wondered why because it's a mystery but we've never questioned thy love for us And we just pray that we might live in the enjoyment and manifestation of that. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. Bless us in the rest of the day. And we thank you now for a little refreshment in the Lord's name. Amen.